the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. Beautiful day out there. Uh, I hate to go out and uh, take care of kids, so I'm, uh, there's no golf today, unfortunately, but Let's start thinking positively. I'm going to start with kind of a negative comment, but it's so relevant to today. In the end, we will not remember the words of our enemies, but in the silence of our friends. And that was Martin Luther King, ladies and gentlemen. A couple other ones. Nothing is impossible. The world, the word itself says, I'm possible. Audrey Hepburn. I learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. I think that's Maya, by the way. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Henry Ford. Perfection is not attainable. But if we chase perfection, we can catch excellence. And that's the great Vince Lombardi. This is the last one, and I like it a lot. Life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. I can't remember who said that. I think it was Charles Swindell. But uh, anyway, there we go. <laughs> so, um, you know, we always talk about our webpage. If you go to WHK1420, go to local podcast down the Smart Investor Show. Uh, you can go right to my webpage from there. And by the way, we have all sorts of stuff there. First of all, go to the Insights page. There's we I, we I rotate the research every week. There's new research on there. Uh, it's all good stuff. It's, it's some of it's just about your daily life. Some of it's about the stock market. Uh, I may I you know I'll go back to March 23rd of 2020. We had Mark Mahaney's stuff about the digitalization of of the world. He mentioned seven stocks in that article. Every one of them is up 200%. Not a bad call. Maybe you should start looking at that <laughs> webpage pretty regularly. We also, you can pick up some stuff from us if you hit the contact me or email me. We have our ADR list. The ADRs are starting to break out, all right? We have our top ideas, whether they're small cap, all cap. The digital growth, I mean, the dividend growth portfolio. We had three of our stocks last week increase their dividend by at least 8%. One of them was 11%. The prime income list, which is for you people who are looking for income because you ain't getting it from bonds right now, unfortunately. Uh, also, uh, a couple things I'm going to talk about. You know, we, we have some uh, reports out there, and very few people are calling in for them. So I know I'm in the right spot because, what? believe me, we had a software uh, conference two years ago in 2018, and I pounded the table on it for four months. Not one person signed up for it. The average stock that they recommended in that report is now up 300 and some odd percent with one down. 
So there's like 25 stocks. It was one bad stock in the whole bit business. So uh, we have the business owner's guide to transition planning. If you're selling a business, there's more than meets the eye, especially with private equity. Money matters for young professionals. If you're young and starting, this is a good way to get your act together. Women and wealth. You know, almost a, a half of the wealth in America is in the hands of ladies. All right. So if if, if you're you know, up to date on things, you don't need this. But if you're a new starter, this is something you should get. And also the Savvy Investors Credit Workbook. You know, it's kind of funny. There has been more debt put out in the last two years by corporations who know their stuff and governments than at any time in history. And it's like two times. They're selling their credit. Shouldn't you? <laughs> anyway, uh, also we have, uh, and these are two really important you know, I'm going to talk about energy today because it ain't the green energy that's going up, okay? We have the RBC Markets Global Energy Power and Infrastructure Virtual Conference notes. Fairly long thing, but it's got great stuff on it. And the U.S. Electrical Grid, if you don't think that's important, you should. Also, we're going to get bumped in uh, October for football. Uh, October 9th, 16th, and 23rd, we will be bumped. It looks like we may be bumped the 20th and 27th of November, too, so... Just remember that October 9th, 16th, and 23rd, if I'm not there, because I'm not. <laughs> All right. You know, the New York, Newark region spent 494,000 hours stuck in traffic last year. L.A. and Anaheim was second, 365. And then uh, also, uh, the, this is the first time L.A. lost its traffic title in 30 years, by the way. Chicago comes in third. I thought Chicago was, uh, you know, I, I went there a couple times. You know, I used to live there. And, man, you know, on a Sunday, it took me like three hours to get across the, the uh, city. It was unbelievable. Each year, banks rake in more than $11 billion worth of overdraft and related fees when the consumer accounts go negative, according to the FTC, the FDIC, I'm sorry. Uh, that's a report by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So, uh, you know, but people are not being smart about their finances is what it comes down to. In the United States, there are 879,000 cybersecurity professionals in the workforce, and it's an unfilled need for another 360,000. How's that, man? What a, what a growth industry that is. By the way, that's generally what we were, we were recommending in the software area back in 2018. <laughs> Some are still going, too, by the way. So I, I listened to Lori Calvacina this week, who's our head strategist. And by the way, this is a live show, so if you have some questions, the number uh, into the studio is 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. Anyway, in a nutshell, she updated her existing S&P 500 uh, forecast to 4,500. That's plus 4%, plus the earnings are up 4% too. Um, and we were at 43.25, so that's a pretty good bump. All right. Um, and we also, uh, she kind of continues to brace for a pullback before year end, but she views it as a buying opportunity, not a selling opportunity. And she remains concerned about the potential for a pullback. And I, I can show you some stuff, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But, uh, I mean, if you want to sit down and have a cup of coffee with me, you know, go to my webpage. You can call me. I, I pick up the phone. Uh, I had somebody call me. I was on the way to a funeral last weekend. Very nice young lady. And, uh, you know, I pick up the phone. So there it is. 
so the main risk she sees for stocks is the possibility that the uh, earnings per share growth turns negative in early 2022, uh, which I think is a problem, uh, you know, depending on what goes on. And she's looking, still looking for a last hurrah for the reflation trade, but uh, we're seeing more and more near-term hurdles for that. So, you know, there we go. Now, Tom Porcelli, uh, who's our chief uh, U.S. economist, and was on TV twice last week, by the way, uh, said the real surprise um, this week was the amount of people wondering if the soft core relative to consensus was enough to delay the, the taper. Does the taper backdrop really require a delay because core missed on soft airlines and lodging? Uh, his hunch was <laughs> there are few, if any, reasonable people within the Fed that think the answer is yes. And as it relates to the fate of the taper, we think it's at this point the Fed is much less sensitive to those types of uh, wiggles and high-frequency data. Uh, and we'll just leave it at that. But also, you know, outside of the two categories that have gotten dinged uh, in part by Delta, the gains were fairly broad-based as the, S, uh, the uh, CPI diffusion index showed a six-month high or a 15-month high. Um, so... You know, you gotta, you gotta start to think about that. Uh, you know, when the CPI starts to go up, usually things follow. But why are we so worried about inflation? Well, if you're in the stock market, when inflation goes up, PE ratios go down because people are not willing to pay a higher multiple for future earnings. It's just that simple. So what you'll find is, you know, you're gonna probably have some problems there. All right. Now, uh, I would also suggest that, uh, you know, when you look at that, what's the best, the best idea when it comes to an inflationary environment? It's oil. And oil is at the lowest concentration in the S&P 500 since 1980 when it blew up or after it blew up. I guess it was 81. Uh, really when it started. Also, gold. But I think gold's being beaten up by Bitcoin, but nobody owns gold. <laughs> I, I listen to money manager after money manager, and nobody owns gold, okay? So that's kind of it. By the way, gold ain't going down, all right? I hate to use eight, but, you know, that's the way it is. It's not going down. Hmm. You know, we said that about Bitcoin a couple of years ago. Remember, we, we said, you know, we had a couple calls in, said so guy told me he's made more money on eight. Not even close to anything as Bitcoin. I said, well, it's parabolic, so be careful. And it was at 20,000 then, went all the way down to to 3,000, and it sat sat there for a while. And I said on the show, it's not going down anymore. Gold isn't going down. Copper pulled back, but it's not going down. You know, some of these things uh, are very inflationary. So, uh, something to think about. You know, I looked at the SP 500, and, you know, one of the things we've been doing is we've been hitting the 50 day moving average. And bouncing, and remember, that's uh, been it's kind of a been a good spot. Now we went below it a couple of times, and and that was in February, March of 2020. All right, um, and and back in February of this year, we broke below it. We broke below it on Friday. All right, so that's something to pay attention to. Uh, so I guess the question is, is this the bottom? Because we've done it twice, and it's been a two or three day thing, and then turned right back around. Uh, is it is less bad equal to good now? 
Okay. Uh, if investors had done position squaring, the incre incremental <laughs> incremental data could surprise to the upside. And that would be very interesting also. So, um, you know, Washington unveiled a tax proposal this week. I, I think it was better than expected. We'll just call it less bad. <laughs> what? It, it didn't make me uh, jump and shout and run all about, but it, it was interesting. Now, a couple things I noticed is that, uh, and I, you know, I, I listened to a couple conference calls this week about oil, and it looks like oil's ending its consolidation. You know, I, I, I was surprised. You know, when we were seventy-two. I said I th thought it'd hold like sixty-seven. Well, it went all the way back to sixty-two. Kind of surprised me a little bit, but now it looks like it's turning back up. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. And don't forget what we talked about. We talked about you sell your. Um, you buy Yom Kippur, you sell Rosh Hashanah. And if you look, uh, if you look at a 60-minute chart, we were at 45.40 on Rosh Hashanah on the S&P 500. We got down to 44.20. And the question is, are we bottoming? Well, you know, we're, we've got a sideways pattern anyway. So we'll see if, if that makes sense again today. Also, the SALT conference was this week. Uh, it was in New York City. And there was a lot of, I mean, I thought it was interesting. We had one day they had uh, General John Kelly, uh, General uh, McMaster. Uh, we had a couple other guys that were, they were all American security people, all right, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, the whole morning was that. So we'll, we'll find out uh, more about that, I guess, in the future. The other thing I think we have to talk about is Germany and uh you know, Europe's largest economy may be poised for a shift in its political leadership with some broad implications beyond the country's borders for European Union policies, including like fiscal inter uh, in integration and economic uh, regulation. So we look at the potential impacts of the financial markets of various uh, coalition scenarios. So, look, the times are cha changing. Until recently, Merkel's party the center-right alliance of the Christian Democrat Union and Christian Social Union has been widely expected to gain the most votes after elections. But over the past months, the central-left Social Democratic Party has moved into the lead. So they think differently. <laughs> uh, so what you'll probably see is the Social Democrats likely uh, owe this change of fortune to uh, Olaf Scholz. Uh, he's the candidate for chancellor, and uh, he's a pretty uh, experienced politician, and uh, he's held the key post of finance minister since 2008. And he, he, he played a central role in establishing both the, you know, the $750 billion EU rescue fund uh, and the recently agreed global minimum tax. Okay, so uh, by the way, just so you know, the right over in Germany is like the near left in America. All right. The left over there is definitely to the left. All right. So I, I think there's going to be a couple things facing the, the German voters. Uh, the Ger German debt break is very important, obviously. And also the, the European fiscal in integration, you know, that's that's going to be uh, big. So big change coming to Germany. Germany. There you go. Also, uh, somebody asked me, Tim, what do you where do you go with bonds in a rising rate area? Well, there's a couple places. Uh, convertible bonds are still the best. And then uh, treasury inflation bonds and also step-up bonds or floating rate bonds, you know, those are the best. I kind of like, uh, look, 
the historical performance when interest rates rise, uh, you know, the fear of rising interest rates can be persistent among investors. Treasury bond yields historically have low levels across the curve. Uh, you know, so traditional fixed income is not, I don't think, where you want to be. But if you look at the best ideas, it's usually in the convertible area. Okay. Uh, and it, you know, it's kind of funny because you take a lesser yield, you know, it's usually like a half to a percent, sometimes maybe a percent and a half, two, depending on how the bond is rated. But they tend to uh, move along with the S&P 500. So if the market's going up, it's going up. And usually if you have rising interest rates, it means that we have a better than expected economy. Hey, let's take a break. Remember, the number here is 216-901-0945. All right, we're back. Little average white band there. <laughs> anyway, uh, I just got an email from Carl, and Carl wanted uh, to know. He said, "Why is everybody bearish?" He said, "I listen to CNBC, and there's four major strategists bearish right now." Well, look, I haven't exactly been a raving bull, uh, although I think the long term we're in a secular bull market. However, what they're looking at, and you know. This is maybe what they're looking at. I think, you know, a, and by the way, you can go to my webpage and see this. It's under the uh, 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 Trend and Cycle Roadmap, uh, which is Rob Schleimer, okay? And uh, it's under Bulletin Board on the front page of my webpage. So if you go to WHK1420, uh, go to Local Podcast down to Tim Hayes, and then you can get right to my webpage from there. I, I believe it's the first page of that. Uh, you'll see a chart that shows monthly momentum and also the chart going back to 2009 and uh, the bottom there, okay? And what we are is we're at the top of the trend line. So when you have a chart and it's positive, you can usually draw lines from each of the higher lows. Now, we, we broke through that last uh, in 2020. It's the only time we've done that. That's what they call an undercut. On a monthly chart, it was only a month and a half, so that's an undercut. Uh, and then we when we have a series of rising highs, we, we draw a line on those. So we're at the top end of that uh, that trend line, okay, of the top, you know, the higher highs. And the momentum has been so positive that it's up there, okay? So it, it may turn over. Uh, that, does, you know, that doesn't mean small caps and, and uh, commodities and things like that are all going to go down. It means the S&P 500 might – need some time to take, you know, go sideways. Now, one of the things I have noticed is by I look at the daily, the daily we've come off the top of that trend line and uh, we're, we're basically holding support here. And then if I look at the, uh, uh, also the, what they call the daily quadrant balance indicator, it's at, you know, pretty oversold. So remember, they keep talking, you sell at Rosh Hashanah and you buy at Yom Kippur. So if you're a trader and you just did that, you know, you left a hundred points on the, on the S and P 500 on the upside. So now the other thing I think you got to talk about, uh, Carl is the 10 year yield. And 
We're in this range between 1.22 now, because we broke through there, and 1.374. So until it breaks 1.22, you know, that we don't have, you know, it, the bond yields aren't going down, I don't think. But it, until they break 1374, I don't think they're going up yet either. So it's kind of a, it's a range. And I think it's, uh, it's going to be a tough range to, to get through. Um, look, I, I, I look at the industry groups, the, the stock index remains one of the more important bellwethers for global growth. And, um, there, there's some fundamentals concerns there because of the, you know, they, they can't produce as much as they want to. Uh, but they are starting to go, they are going sideways to breaking out. So, you know, that's good. Uh, the other one is the hotel index and the transports. Now, the transports are actually, they're breaking key support. That's usually not a good sign because remember what Charles Dow talked about. In order for you to have a bear, a bull market, okay, a bull move, you want the utilities, you want the Dow Jones industrials going up, and you want the transports. So the transports going down is not good. But the uh, the hotels are showing some early signs of, uh, uh, you know, bottoming uh, right at the 200-day moving average. The reason I'm saying that the transports are breaking down is that they are at the 200-day moving average. So that's something to think about. Um, now, um, there's some things that, you know, look, I, I think people have to think about this is, you know, if pe- people are talking about, you know, cash being is, – is cash king or trash, all right? Well, look, back in 1928, uh, a, a dollar could buy you 25 Hershey bars. <laughs> this came from our friends at uh, Auger, the Auger Funds, by the way. Now, it, uh, you know – well, let's put it this way. Today, it is more than a dollar, Meaning that you can't, you, you can buy a quarter of a Hershey bar for a dollar. <laughs> so M2 is the measure of the, the money, uh, U.S. money stock. Okay. So it's the money supply and that includes M1, which is currency coins, et cetera, plus savings, et cetera, and small time deposits and, you know, that type of thing. And if you look with such strong supply growth, large Asset allocations to cash are not probably good, but we prefer stocks to potentially protect purchasing power over a long time, maybe even commodities sometimes, you know. Uh, we'll, we'll find out the hard way. But, uh, you know, is cash king or is it trash? That's, uh, that's a big question these days. And uh, I think a lot of people are um, thinking about that right now. So, um, look. There's something that happened this week I think is kind of intriguing, okay? And that is the American Association of Individual Investors. The bears surged. I mean, it was unbelievable. They 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 moved up uh, to 39.3% from 24. The bulls dropped 14 percentage points. That's, a, that's one of the largest weekly drops I've ever seen. Uh, they're down to 22.4%. Now, as a contrarian, that's very, very bullish, okay? But it's unusual to have that big a drop. It's only happened 11 other times. The average return for a month has been negative by about a quarter percent, but the average return over a six-month period has been pretty strong. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, uh, this gentleman is a technician, so I'm going to answer the question, but he sent me an email this week, and he said, Tim, what do you, you know, 
how do you go about looking at, at, at breakouts? And, you know, can they be false? You know, he's looking for false breakouts. That's when, that's when the stock's been going sideways for a while and breaks above the resistance area it's been in. And, I, you know, first of all, I look at the chart. Is it making higher highs or higher, or, and higher lows? And, if, you know, that's good. Second, I look at the trend lines. Then I look at the moving averages. Then I look at the pattern. I, you know, really look for cup and handle formations. And then I look at support and resistance. Uh, resistance. Then I look at confirmation, and then I look at relative strength. And if if all those seven things are good, plus you know if I have insider buying, then I look I'm really happy. All right. But you know one of the things I think is happening here, and I talked about this, you know uh, that energy was a little overvalued, but the theme in the energy space oddly is not a theme folks focused on green energy. Green energy got killed. You know, as soon as the president became president, they killed the green energy. And what it appears, I mean, look, read some of the headlines. California to bid temporary gas plants to avoid blackouts. Unplanned outages hit Texas. Electricity prices spike in Alberta. Uh, Japan surging electric, uh, electricity prices are a warning for Asian countries. Uh, China's coal supply crisis means high prices. Natural gas is up almost 90%. In a month, what's going on here? Well, the president shut down a couple of pipelines, and everybody's trying to go electric. You know, and I'll just tell you a quick story. I used to work for Honeywell a long, long time ago. And uh, they asked me, you know, they were trying to promote me to Minneapolis, which I would have, you know, because of taxes, I would have taken a tax, I mean, a a, a hit on my income. Uh, So... But I said, well, I'd like to be in solar. And the guy said, you know, it's less than a half a percent of the business. So we'd rather just have you in marketing. I, I got into this business instead. Um, I was also trading my own account at that point, right? And so I look now, and solar is still only 2.5%. That was a long time ago, okay? So there hasn't been much progress made. Now, will there be? Maybe. Look, I think going all electric, you know, as a defense scenario is is bad because somebody can drop an EPD above us and just shut us down. And, you know, so it doesn't make as much sense. But natural gas prices have been soaring worldwide as Europe is paying four times more than North America. All right. And we've got enough natural gas in this country if they let us drill it for 400 years. Okay, that's plenty of time to to uh, gonna go from here. And I think what you know, West Texas crude up looks looks like it's gonna break out any minute. I told you the continuation pattern on all crude is there. Yet solar is down. I mean, uh, you know, I just look at the ETF tan. It peaked at one twenty. Well, call it one twenty six. It's now ninety three. It's been to seventy seven. Uh, I'm seeing you know a couple things I don't like, like. Uh, well, the PPO is turning up, but uh, I'm also seeing moving averages cross over each other the wrong way. And, and copper's holding up really well. You know, so what is going on? You know, I just think commodities, you know, we talked about this for years on this show. Commodities were down 85% from 2009, the, the index. So something to think about. So uh, I, I just think, you know, you got to be uh, thinking about energy because no one owns it. All right, no one owns it. All right, hey, listen, we're going to be right.
right back. This is the Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Remember, if you got a question, 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. There are people in this country who work hard oh. All right, we're back. It's a great song, by the way. Uh, one of my favorites. Anyway, uh, so I just got a couple uh, email calls, and you can call in here, or emails, that uh, he said, why, you know, the guy said, well, you never came to the point, What? What? why is oil and natural gas going up? It's a lack of supply. Okay, if you look at the inventories, uh, especially for natural gas. And by the way, natural gas did double. I'm sorry. I, I thought it was almost, uh, uh, so it's gone from 260 to 520. Uh, so wait, wait till you start, you know, wait till we start getting cold. It's supposed to be a very cold winter. So that's going to be really interesting. Uh, but crude oil inventories have slowly but surely just been slipping away. Uh, so, you know, those supply shortages are inflationary prices for, you know, driving forces behind the energy prices. So uh, there we go. So it'll be interesting to see how the oil stocks do. Remember, they were all in zone five or six. They pulled back in August, and we kind of warned you about that. And now we'll see what happens. It'll be, probably be very positive. So now we come to the uh, part of the show, and we always talk about this. And why? Because risk management should be, you know, if you're managing your own money, because this is what I do. Every day I look at all my stocks. Every day I look at lots of charts. So I'm always looking for new ideas. And I'm looking at my ideas that I have to see if there's a problem with them, okay? So risk management is the most important thing you can do. If you don't lose money, believe me, when it comes time to make money, you'll make a lot more of it, all right? Uh, so, you know, there was everybody says, so index funds are the way to go. You know, between 2000 and 2022, you would have been down 52%, okay? I don't care what your dividend was. <laughs> that ain't going to make up the 52%. In 2007 and eight and nine, you were down 57%. So you would have barely broke even for uh, like a 13-year period, okay? That's not good for your finances. You know, in, in my particular case, and, and uh, you know, some of the money managers I had, they all had positive returns. Now, they had you know, one year, 2008, they had negative returns, but they weren't minus 57%. They were down 10 or 15%. You can make that up, all right? Because uh, nobody's perfect when you have a, you know, a scenario like that. I, I had new accounts where I had 100% cash that year, and I stayed in cash. I only had five or six stocks, and I sold Chesapeake at the, at the top, you know, so there we go. So risk management is very, very important. Uh, and one of the things I think you have to look at is, you know, Charles Dow had a couple of associates that put together a, a program called the bullish percent. And the bullish percent just is a, is a point figure chart, which was the way then and still the way now, by the way, people use it quite a bit. You know, Dorsey Wright, which is the keeper of these guys, they're great guys there, uh, goes to pretty much every trading desk on the planet. All right. So point and figure charts are still very, very important. So anyway, the bullish percent goes from zero to 100. Over 70 is the red zone. That's when things are too hot to handle. Okay, everybody's talking about their portfolio. You should be frightened. We get below 30, 
Nobody's talking about their portfolio. You don't open your 401k statements. I don't get invited to parties. I don't even get invited to my, you know, the Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> All right. But the point is, that's when you should be greedy. That's when you should be greedy. Okay? Just remember that. So right now, oh, by the way, when we're in a column of X's, we have the offensive team on the field. And when we go into a column of O's, we bring the defensive team on the field. That doesn't mean you have to sell everything. Remember, there are some other things we look at, and that is the relative strength of each asset class. And right now, domestic equities are the number one asset class. In 2007, 2008, when you know, I basically came out and said the money market would outperform the stock market, is because the, the domestic equities were the dead last in relative strength. And the, and, and the money market, which was yielding a quarter of a percent, was the top asset class. So we, we'll let you know if anything like that happens. But right now, domestic equities are still number one. So uh, they're still in the column of O's, though. All right, We were down 5% to 54% last week. But what's interesting is the over-the-counter index, which was down three, is still in a column of X's. So I saw a lot of short, small-cap stocks doing fairly well, and the world index is still in a column of X's and was only down a half a percent. So the relative strength may be picking up. Remember, that's my big problem with international stocks right now is that they're doing okay, but their relative strength compared to the U.S. markets is hitting new lows. That's not what you want, okay? So anyway, uh so people ask me about, you know, um, the dynamic asset level investing. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. But, you know, just so you know, the S&P 500 did break a double bottom at 44.70. Now, it reversed up and then reversed back down this week. So we've got to watch that fairly closely because we're at the 50-day moving average. The 200-day would be very much a problem, I think. Uh, and I looked at some of the, you know, I analyzed some of the, you know, the U.S. large caps. And, and some of those names. And, and uh, you, you got to watch those because the number of stocks trading above the 200 moving average, you know, which was at 85%, is now at 75. So that's, that's going to stop going down. The NASDAQ large cap index is down to like 42%. So uh, we're seeing a lot of stocks get beat up underneath the surface. Okay. And what normally happens before a correction of any type is that they, you know, there's a lot of volatility below the surface that nobody talks about on the TV or nobody talks about. You know, they don't see it. And then suddenly, look out below. All right. So Dow Jones Industrials had negative momentum for four weeks. Uh, and and the other thing I see is that the emerging markets have had positive momentum. Uh, momentum. But most all the indexes have had uh, negative momentum. And, and the Invesco QQQ and the the XLG, which is the 50 largest stocks, they've been for negative for seven weeks. That's a pretty long time in stock market, you know, thinking. Now, remember, sell Rosh Hashanah, buy Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur was Friday, as I recall. So one thing I, I did see is that the small caps have been doing fairly well. They broke out and have held, held up pretty well. So we'll see what uh, continues, if that continues for a while. We, we're now up to a whopping three favored sectors. <laughs> Remember, we got to one, and I've only, I've only seen that a couple times in 2000, you know. But we haven't moved the, the curve to below 30 or anything like that. We have a lot of uh, names along the line. But banks are at 64, which is still fairly overbought, but you can start to watch those a little bit. Wall Street and computers are the other two at 50. 
we're starting to we're starting to see some uh, groups that are under thirty now. Okay, now these are not favored, but they're automobiles, protection services, drugs, and precious metals. So we got to watch for them to turn back up. I wouldn't buy them yet, though. You know, uh, don't anticipate an anticipator, folks. That's uh, that's a bad way. That's a way to lose a lot of money. <laughs> don't anticipate an anticipator. I did notice that leisure and non-ferrous metals moved from unfavored status to average, which so those are ones to watch. And and one of the things I did see this week, and I thought was pretty interesting, was Japanese equities rose pretty strongly, uh, and they went you know they went over three uh, on the Dorsey Wright system, uh, and if they get past three and a half, that's very positive. They're at three point four eight right now, so uh, they they have done better than most non. Of all the non-U.S. based stocks, they have done the best, and they have done it very quickly. So, uh, you know, I think I looked at several ETFs in that area, but I, I noticed that if you looked at the hedged currencies, they there's two or three of them out there, and uh, three, uh, two of the three broke a triple top. It's a very positive thing. So you want to wait for a pullback. Uh, the other one broke a double top. Uh, but it had broken a spread quadruple top uh, just a month and a half ago. So Japan looks like it's maybe starting to turn around. Who knows? As far as 10-year treasuries are concerned, um, you know, like I said, I I think you have a a range between 1.2% and 1.37. And if you break that, that's good. I did notice that if I look at the, the liquid bond ETF, the LQD, uh, the, the actual bond broke out, which means the yields were coming down. So they broke a double top at 135.75. So that's, that usually means yields are going lower, but uh, they, nothing's broken down on the 10-year yet. But uh, oil turned around this week. It had been like seven, eight weeks of negative momentum, and gold has been uh, positive again. Uh, copper has been on and off. It's just went negative this week, so I think it's it, you know it's kind of basing type of scenario. Um, I did notice that the commodity indexes, a couple of them, uh, broke. Uh, you know, one in particular uh, broke a triple top. It's a very good looking chart, and you know, commodities. <laughs> I mean, this index was uh, in 2007 was 47. It went all the way down to uh, 10. So it gives you the idea of what's been happening in commodities. For a while, um, so you know maybe it's the precious metals, maybe it's the oil, uh, maybe it's natural gas. You know because they have big positions in all of them. Uh, but you know there you go. Relative strength. We always talk about this. These are names that you should be writing down. There's not a lot of them this week, but uh, you know there, there's never a lot of them at the bottom. I'll just say that. But the relative strength is just how your stock is performing against something else. All right. In this particular case, we use the equal weighted index of the S&P 500. Uh, so we have Comstock Resources, an oil company, uh, Banco Marco, uh, a, a bank, which we said banks were in good shape. Also, uh, Nate Properties. Uh, by the way, these are foreign stocks. Uh, went to a buy. And uh, ProQR Therapeutics, ITIR, that went uh, that skyrocketed this week. Uh, also, uh, B&G uh, went crazy a little bit. Uh, so we didn't have very many. On the sell side, the American Woodwork Corporation, Harsco, uh, Plantronics, 
and then we had a couple, uh, support.com, which we've gone straight up and straight back down. Varaka, Varakta, uh, uh, Therapeutics, my medics, which got killed. Fate, which Therapeutics, which got killed. Horizon Global, which got beat up a little bit. Apellus that got killed. So, uh, Amgen also, uh, just, Amgen's like, it's been, it's been bopping up and down, uh, left and right as far as relative constraint is concerned. Also, uh, Olo Software was the other one that uh, uh, we have a pretty good report on. We're fairly positive on. But, hey, let's take a, let's take a break. We're going to come back with Insiders. And uh, this is the Smart Investor Show. I'll be right back. Stay tuned. You just tuned in. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes, uh, and you know now we talk about insiders, and insiders are kind of interesting because they might know more than us. <laughs> you know that's what that's the definition of an insider. So what we look for is very large buys or multiple buys, which we have several of today, and I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, and remember, insiders can sometimes be very early, uh, but they're right a lot. They're right on average about 67%. And if we add those to good charts, and I'm not talking about any charts here. I'm just talking about insiders. So uh, that's what my clients pay me for is good charts and good fundamentals, uh, which we have a couple uh, that I just noticed uh, on Friday and, and then a couple more today. I had I was going to make a comment about one called Corvus, where we had the, the CEO buy 320,000 shares, which doubled his position. Uh, the CFO bought 160,000, and uh, the COO bought 160, and then there was seven 15,000 share buyers. Uh, unfortunately, they doubled on Friday. <laughs> Bingo! Uh, so uh, well, we won't talk about that one. There's another one called Jumaya, Jumaya. I'm sorry, uh, and this is kind of the Amazon of Africa. I made a lot of money on the stock, and uh, I still own some of it. Um, but this co-CEO bought 50,000 shares at the market for a million bucks. Uh, that's an interesting one. That was one of uh, uh, my favorites for a while there. Now, Harold Hamm, who was one of the smartest guys in oil, oil, ladies and gentlemen, just bought another 261,000 shares of, of Continental Resources. Now, just so you know, he owns about 14 million shares. And you may recall uh, the March, I think it was the March 25th show, uh, I said that Harold Hamm stepped up to the plate and, and bought Continental then, all right? Uh, Continental was, uh, I believe, in the teens at that point. It is now 41. So uh, he has a pretty good uh, track record. We also had uh, uh, Joshua uh, Kushner, who you remember Jared is his brother. Uh, he bought some more Oscar Health, uh, about uh, $9 million worth this week. Actually, he bought twice. He bought $9 million and $6.5 million, which is kind of interesting. Um, you know, um, actually, on Friday, he bought $5.7 million. So he bought, uh, that's 11, about $20 million worth of Oscar Health Care last week. Uh, so that's that's a lot of stock. Um, 
also uh, Rain Therapeutics. We had BVF Partners, which is pretty smart money, by $6.5 million worth of stock. Uh, that one had been like in the 21 areas, now about 15. Uh, also, the, the Baker Brothers are back at Kodiak at a new, you know, a, a new recovery high at 100. They stepped up to, well, actually, they paid 98.39 for it, but they bought about 31,000 shares for about uh, 2.1 million. And Martin Touchman, uh, this is Fortress Transportation, which is, you know, is a $36 stock, now 25. Uh, he stepped up and played about 100,000 shares for 2.5 million. That's a pretty good chunk of change too. And then Western Alliance Bank Corp. Remember, he this guy bought uh, uh, Rob Starver, who's uh, an executive chairman, bought a couple months ago. Uh, the stock has got, gone up drastically from then, from the uh, uh, you know $80 range, I think, or $86 range is on 98. He bought another 200,000 shares for five million bucks. That's not chunk, chunk change. And then Jay Schottenstein, who's Kind of a brilliant retailer, uh, bought designer brands. Uh, he's executive chairman there. He bought 2.5 million, um, which is kind of interesting. And then we had Dustin Muscovitz bought Asana. He bought another 13,000 shares, 14,000 shares to the tune of 1.4 million. That's kind of interesting. And then um, we also had uh, Steve Hilton, who's a director at. Uh, uh, Western Alliance Bank Corp. He bought a million dollars worth too. A couple other names I saw: uh, a Godecker, which is uh, 1847 Godecker. I'm sorry. Uh, they had uh, the chief executive officer buy just a hair under a million dollars. And our friend Randall Paulson, who's been buying Riley, which is a brokerage firm, uh, bought some more of it. You know, it's it's gone from 75 down to 59. He bought about almost a million dollars worth. And here's a couple other names where I saw multiple uh, things: where Flint Lane. Uh, BTRS Holdings, which is a uh, software company, it's gone from about 16 down to 10. He bought 750,000 shares. Then Joe Eng, who's the chief information officer, bought 506,000 shares or $6,000 worth. Uh, and then uh, Mr. Flint bought uh, two days later, he bought another $250,000 worth. So uh, quite a bit of buying there. A couple of other names that uh, <laughs> we've heard in nauseam. Uh, Philip Frost at Octo bought another 100,000 shares this week. And then Fred Hand, uh, and this is Tuesday morning, which was, uh, you know, is a specialty retail company. Uh, he bought a couple times uh, to the two and a half a million dollars, uh, but the, he also had some friends, uh, Mark Katz, who's the COO, he bought a quarter million dollars. Uh, and, you know, low, low price stock, but uh, Bill Bauman, who's the uh, CIO, and uh, Paul Metcalf, who's the CMO. So, Basically, everybody in the uh, in, in the uh, management team bought when it came down to. Also, uh, uh, Michael Rapp, who is a name you should probably take a look at, but Immunon. Uh, Im, I can't get that. It's anyway. He he. I M N M. Uh, he bought uh, about a million million twenty uh, thousand uh, of that stock, and that there was. It was he? I remember last week he bought two hundred fifty thousand, and he, you know he's bought quite a few times. So something to pay attention to. And then here's one where we have just lots of people buying, and not much, but they're all buying. And it's like every director, uh, and it's Commercial Trust Corporation. It's a REIT. Uh, so we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, twelve. 12 buyers of about 140,000 shares of $40,000 each. So a uh, great deal of buying there. Um, so 
you know, rates slow, but sure method of making money. All right. Anyway, um, you know, we had some, we had this option volatility, expiration volatility. We had, it was quadruple witching hour this last week. And a lot of the volatility was on Thursday, but more of it was on Friday. So it was kind of interesting. Uh, and it, it's amazing how the option market is controlling the stock market, uh, and the futures market too, by the way. And, uh, you know, I, I saw more style and sector rotation. And I think that's going to continue into the fourth quarter. So, you know, growth stocks are, it looks like they're beginning to peak, stall, you know, that type of thing on an intermediate term. And the weekly momentum indicators, you know, tracking the quarterly shifts are rolling over in that, that growth name. So it'll be interesting. You know, small cap indices remain range bound, but they're showing some early signs of improving. So there's some key upside levels coming up for the Russell 2000, which if they were broken would would be big, I think. Uh, the chart looks a lot like it did in 2017, and 2018 was a great year for small caps. I talked about the, the rate. You know, we're, we got this range between 1.22 and 1.37%, and if we break either direction, it'll probably be a problem. Uh, somebody asked me about the dollar, and look, the, the technical pa- uh, pattern for currencies remain quite volatile, in my humble opinion. Uh, and the intermediate term backdrop continues to suggest the dollar index is kind of peaking here. Uh, so, you know, there's resistance 93.94. So if we got through that, that'd be very positive for the dollar. However, you know, I think a lot of people have been going to cryptocurrencies, uh, and I don't think they understand what they're doing, but, you know, it's still working for them. So, you know, whatever. Now, I'm seeing some cyclicals bottoming, uh, some in the hotels area, some of the banks area, some in the, in the energy, as we talked about earlier. And I'm showing some uh, signs of support and, and maybe even bottoming in some of the non-cyclical. So I, I just think, you know, you have to be thinking about that. Now, long term, remember, if I look at the monthly chart, the S&P 500 near the peak, okay, at top of its trend line. And, and the momentum is very, very high to the positive side. So, you know, you could have a period of time where we go sideways. You know, there's two ways to correct, time correction and price correction, all right? So we don't know what it's going to be yet. Uh, the Russell 2000 looks in a, like in a great consolidation, like I said. If it, you know, I, I think if it breaks uh, 2370, we'll call it, uh, you know, it's off to the races. What I'm seeing is, you know, growth versus value has been in this, you know, fight for the last uh, year and a half. And uh, growth had actually just pummeled value for years. I mean, seven, eight years. And now it's it's a fight, especially in the small cap and the mid cap area. The large cap area has been more growth, but uh, we'll see what happens from here. So what would I be doing right now? Okay. Uh, first of all, remember, we're going to be bumped on October 9th, 16th, and 23rd. Okay. So we'll be bumped. We will not be on. Uh, and uh, that's number one. Number two, if you want to have a meeting with me, go to my web page or call me. <laughs> my number is 216-774-8906. That gets to you direct. All right? So it's 216-774-8906. We'll sit down. We'll have coffee or lunch or breakfast, whatever it may be. Um, in the meantime, there's a lot of stuff I would be recommending, and, and I say the same things every week, but since nobody's calling in for them, I know I'm on the right path. The U.S. electrical grid. That's going to become very, very important in the future. 
and also the RBC Capital Markets Global Energy Power Infrastructure Virtual Conference. This is the, the day two, uh, which, you know, where they have all the updates. Uh, energy's working. Nobody believes it, but energy's working. Remember, oil and natural gas are only 4.5% of the S&P 500. Back in 2009, they were 20. Also, uh, we have our ADR list. for the, An ADR is an American depository receipt, so it's a foreign stock that trades on our exchange, so there's no currency problems. Our top idea is small cap. Also, multi-cap, all the names, all right? Our dividend growth portfolio, a conservative way to make a lot of money. Our prime income list for those people who need income now. Uh, great idea. Uh, so uh, don't forget, we have a couple of reports. Money matters for young professionals. So all you people out there trying to figure out what's going on, that's a help. Women and Wealth, a planning work, work, uh, workbook. A business owner's guide to transition planning. And the Savvy Investors Credit Workbook. Remember, all the corporations are selling their credit right now. You should, too. Anyway, have a great weekend. It's, it's going to be beautiful. So uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next week. In the meantime, remember, buy low, sell high. This is Smart Investor Show. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.